the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Friday, March 25th to you, George Brockler. In for the great Peter Boyles. I'll be with you all day until 10 o'clock at least. And then uh, next week, I'll be with you up until Friday. If you haven't bought tickets yet, go out to www. My kids tell me I never need to say that because that's really it. But uh, 710KNUS.com. Find the tickets out there if there are any still left. Uh, I think they're relatively reasonable. Just to fray the cost of us getting this fantastic location, which is the View House right there off of I-25 in Centennial. It will be Pete, live, local, bunch of guests, you, from 5 until 10 a.m. That's almost a full day right there on April 1st. That's one week from today. I still can't believe it's coming to an end a week from today. It's just bizarre. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to schedule this thing? Yeah, I can't imagine how it's, difficult yeah, it is the, to the, schedule the, the, the list of guests that are potential. Pete and I are going to work on it later today, but oh, good Lord. There's a potential for George Clooney. Is that true? <laughs> yes, I heard I've that heard somewhere. That, yes. I think I heard it in the men's room down the hall. Yeah, I may have been the one that, yeah, that said it. but it's, it's George Clooney wants to be here. I've heard that. Alec Baldwin's a huge fan. No, yeah, well, you know, but we're gonna obviously he's got some issues to, there. Yeah, metal detector. Yeah, he was he was not too pleased about what Pete was saying about you know his his rust shooting. Right? That was not good. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he has some words to say. It's a, you know they're coming out. It's a, it is going to be luminaries of of Denver and national media. Brad so. Pitt, Matt yeah. Damon, oh, Jennifer yeah. Aniston, Nicolas Cage, Rob Lowe, the old rat yeah. rat pack. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to that. That's incredible. But we'd like to see you there, and if not you in person, you on the radio. So. Mark it down on the calendars a week from today. Until that time, you've got me and then Charlie Kirk at 10 and then live and local with Stefan again, 3 to 7. But we really can't get underway at all today until we have been caught up on all the KNEWZ that is not fit to print with the Thorpe Report. Yeah, good morning, sir. And yeah, tickets are going to be 15 bucks. I know that we have sold more than 70 so far, so do not wait. These things are going to be gone. Is, is there a limit? Like how many are we trying I imagine to there's a limit somewhere that, again— Nobody they tells don't, us. They don't tell me anything. No. I'm not in those meetings. I'm not allowed anymore. <laughs> There's a reason for that. And so I'm not allowed in those meetings. So it's probably a good thing. And uh, they didn't tell us how many we You wanted the thing to be held at uh, shotguns. And yes, exactly. The... I thought, you know, it was, you had entertainment already there. I thought that, you know, it was, and it would be for the kids. No cover charge. Yeah. <laughs> no covering anything. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> okay, Colorado, in the house. <laughs> Colorado lawmakers unveiled a bill yesterday that would reduce the amount of fentanyl-laced drugs a dealer would need to possess in order to face harsh felony charges and aims to widely increase access to those fentanyl strips, Narcan, and other services for people who suffer from addiction. The measure, according to a draft copy, makes it a level 4 drug felony to possess any drug or compound that contains fentanyl and weighs more than 4 grams. Also changes the weight a person needs to possess in order to be charged with various levels of drug felonies here in Colorado. Elsewhere, the attorney for Aurora Police Chief Vanessa Wilson said yesterday she is not planning to resign or retire from the department, but acknowledged that the city manager did request a meeting to discuss an exit strategy with the chief earlier this week. Aurora Police, uh, let's see, also three-week uh, federal criminal trial over the city of Denver's response to protests during the summer of 2020 is set to end this week. Uh, this is the first civil trial in the nation that stems from the George Floyd protest to go before a jury. 
There also is a bill that is currently moving through our, through our Colorado state legislature that would limit how much mobile home park owners can charge tenants for use of land. Most what? residents own the homes where they live, but they do not own the land, and they rent it from the park owners. A uh, Democrat representative from Lamar County, Lamar County is proposing the bill that would cap the rent increase at 3% annually or to the rate of inflation. He says it's due to complaints from constituents about rapidly rising rent. So, so the area. answer is to rent fix? I mean, that's what it is. No different than the yeah, I don't, state coming yeah. in and saying you can't charge more than this for an apartment. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, that I don't understand why you would limit that as far as based on the market economy. I don't uh, think that's fair to the landowner. Oh, do they ever? But yeah, it's it's the government coming in and saying that even though the value of your land rises, we're not going to allow you to commensurately. And these folks yeah, have the freedom to that. pick up their home and yes, move. Yes, they do. I mean, and, and I do based literally. on yeah, and based on their um, the economic strata they live in. I understand the stretch. I understand the difficulty. I'm just not in favor of the government coming in and saying not you can't raise the rent. Oh, yeah, because how sense. do they know what level to put it at? Exactly. Let's let the market decide. Yes, let's do that. Metalwork may have been to blame for sparking the fire that caused damage at Empower Field a mile high yesterday. A fire burned a portion of the seating area yesterday afternoon, sending a large plume of smoke above the stadium. The stadium was empty, but there was an event on the second level involving about 100 people. Fire crews found the fire burning on the suite area on level four and in the seating area on the third level. The city of Aurora is considering a first-of-its-kind ordinance that would restrict the use of cool-weather turf in new developments and golf courses beginning next year. But eh, only a little. Here's the deal. According to the city, Aurora averages only 15 inches of precipitation each year, and cool-weather turf needs substantial watering. Outdoor usage of this turf accounts for about 50% of water usage annually in Aurora, and that's according to the city. Uh, This kind of turf is any cool-season species or variety blend that would be not limited to, but including Kentucky bluegrass and fescue. That's according to the city. In general, it would include those with an annual irrigation water requirement that is greater than about 9.3 gallons per square foot. What it means is that the ordinance it passed would prohibit turf for aesthetic purposes only, but would allow it in new developments if they are active or programmed recreation areas. Talk about government speak. But basically, uh-huh. you're not going to be able to choose the kind of grass What's you the, put in your lawn. Is this all water-related? Or yeah, is it's it... all water-related. Yeah, okay. they don't... It's, it's, it's some of those... Types of grass are using way too much water. Yeah, yeah. In, so in I my neighborhood, we got, back on marijuana too. Yeah, we in, in my neighborhood we got two guys that put an astroturf. Yep. I, yeah. Next door neighbor to us has a big patch of astroturf. Yeah, as well. it's it looks really nice with with several exceptions of like middle of the winter when you're walking down and everybody it's like brown, 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 yeah, bright yeah. green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't doesn't look right. No, <laughs> it just but I never see yeah. him mowing the backyard. I'll give him no, that. Yeah, never. That's. I, I'm kind of jealous. <sighs> Internationally, Russian propaganda claims Vladimir Putin is going to unleash nuclear weapons if NATO peacekeepers are put on the ground in Ukraine. They are threatening that this could spark World War III, of course, because it's Russian propaganda. The Russian president's tightly controlled state TV went into overdrive to warn NATO alliance leaders against deploying absolutely any troops or even acting to maintain peace during the conflict with Ukraine. President Joe Biden said yesterday that NATO would respond in kind if Russia uses weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine. Uh, The president said the world would also experience a food shortage as a result of Russia's incursion into Ukraine. And he's going to try to increase production as a way to help out uh, the European Union. 
A majority of Americans say they don't blame President Joe Biden for higher gasoline prices, but they're giving his economic leadership very low marks amid fears of inflation and deep pessimism about current economic conditions. About 7 in 10 Americans say the nation's economy is in bad shape and close to two-thirds disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. That's according to a new poll from the Associated Press. In addition, Americans are more likely to say that his policies have hurt the economy more than Biden's policies have helped it. The number of migrants crossing the U.S. southern border illegally has jumped again in recent weeks, stretching capacity and stirring fears the Biden administration is going to face a larger influx as it lifts pandemic restrictions next week. According to a preliminary U.S. Customs and Border Protection data that was obtained by The Washington Post, authorities are on pace to make more than 200,000 detentions along our southern border just in March alone. That is the highest monthly total since August. Now, of real big concern of the Border Patrol it has been the fact they're holding more than 15,000 migrants per day at border stations and in tent facilities that is vastly exceeding capacity limits. Just last month, they were holding less than 7,500 oh, What's per day. the reason for the surge, one? And two, uh, why would President Trump... I mean, yeah. President Biden do this. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's it is an odd blind spot for the administration and Republicans and conservatives should be happy about it because they are horribly mismanaging it and is going to help get conservatives did, elected. Did Kamala Harris, did the vice president ever make it down I don't there? I think so. I don't know and, if she ever been how, to the border. Okay. Now, on a side note, how badly mismanaged was that? Because it would have taken zero effort for her to go down to the border do little smiley pictures, meet with people, and then do nothing. But at least she would have done the dog and pony show. That is the minimum effort required. And she she couldn't even manage that. She would have been accused of dodging the tough places to go to. And if she had gone, it would have been a photo op that would have haunted her. I mean, this is all political. My understanding from hearing a couple different sources, though, is that the tension inside the – the upper echelons of government between the president and the vice president's staff between that executive office building just down the street from the White House, if you ever get out there, yeah. is uh, is real. It yeah, is palpable. I would believe it. Oh, yeah. She feels like uh, she is being put in a position to fail. Yeah. And, and she is, by the way. Yeah, she is. And, and And I think that's difficult for her because, in my opinion— when she was put on the ticket, she was put in the position to succeed. I I believe, and again, I have nothing proving this, but it is my belief that the Democrats thought they would bring Biden in, they would run Kamala as the right hand, that she would be front and center on so many policy decisions. She would be basically, you know, be seen with him as many times as possible to be as involved as many times as possible because they knew that running Joe for a second term was going to be difficult. And if they could establish her as a power broker, you then make this seamless transition, president to vice, and they have horribly mismanaged it. The uh, significance of the passage of time. Yes. Really, the yeah. Significance it's just oh, the man. passage of time. <sighs> Neither yeah. one of those two, those two have seemed to have mastered the English language, Not or at, at least all. being able to contemporaneously speak. What's interesting about that is you've got a guy who's president who has been standing in front of podiums talking to nobody. That's if you ever watch C-SPAN, that's what goes on in the Senate for decades. Yeah. And then you have someone else who claims to have uh, she was the district attorney, the attorney general. And a U.S. senator from California, we're talking is kind of baked into the job yeah. description. And yet somehow when she gets uh, outside the D.C. zip code, sometimes inside, 
It's like somebody just yeah. stomped on the record player. Yeah, that she just doesn't understand how to communicate properly. It's as if she doesn't, one, doesn't understand her audience, and two, doesn't understand the message. But, but everybody Not makes a good mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, too. But I've made several this morning already. I can't, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine, though, repeating the phrase, the significance of the passage of time, four times within 50 seconds. I mean, yeah. at some point, your brain goes, you keep saying it. Yeah, stop that. Come up with something else. Yeah. What are we doing with these words? Anyway, sorry, Billy. (laughs) Not a problem. Uh, Virginia Thomas, a conservative activist and married to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, has repeatedly pressed White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to pursue unrelenting efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. That is according to a series of urgent text exchanges in the weeks after the vote. Now, these messages, 29 and all, have been revealed. It's an extraordinary report, honestly. It's a pipeline between Virginia Thomas, who goes by Ginny and President Donald Trump's top aide, during the period in which Trump and his allies were vowing to go to the Supreme Court court in an effort to overturn the election That's results. kind of a big one. I don't expect that Ginny, really what she one. goes by, Ginny is exercising influence over her husband, Clarence Thomas, the oldest member of the Supreme Court. But what an awful look that is. I mean, is she, though? Do we know? Because here's the thing. Here's the big reason this is a question, is because if we roll back and jump in the Wayback Machine just yeah. a couple of months ago, Clarence Thomas is the only Supreme Court justice to vote against releasing the information from the past few months of the Trump White House from the National Archives. The information, the text messages from his wife were in those records. No, that's interesting. So that's where I look at this and go, wait a minute. Was Clarence Thomas? Yes, absolutely he did. Did Because he knew he knew that his wife was communicating with Mark Meadows. If he didn't know that his wife was communicating with Mark Meadows, we have a deeper issue. That could happen. That part could happen. But if he knew the twenty nine records, twenty nine text messages, twenty nine text messages, he knows. But if he He knows knows. those records are in there and did it, I would say that's an ethical issue. He absolutely knows. He absolutely knows. He had to have known. You just think they're like sitting there in bed, and she's like, "I'm uh, texting Mark, honey, right now. I'm telling him, let's undo this whole thing." I'm thinking that as the level at which it has been shown that Ginny Thomas was involved in trying to overturn this. I mean, she's actually pressing Mark Meadows in some of these text messages to appoint Sidney Powell as the lead oh dear um, head of all of the election fraud, you know, um, things. So she's pushing for that. And Krusty I'm, the Clown yeah. would be better. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what I'm thinking is that to think that hey, Ginny hey. Thomas would be as deeply involved in this as she was – and there wasn't a single conversation between her and her husband flies against the face of reality, Maybe. especially given especially given um, Clarence Thomas and some of the statements and speeches that he's made. Just recently, he made a speech about, oh, we got to prevent the Supreme Court from becoming political. That, to me, was he was making an argument before this came out. Yeah. He was making an argument that he knew that he yeah, was basically yeah, yeah. maybe i mean oh, listen, yeah. what you don't know is you don't know what they're like under their roof right like nobody knows what a married couple is like when they're outside the public eye so maybe i don't know half the people i think my wife texts but maybe they don't have that kind of a relationship maybe it's uh the old uh, desi arnez lucille ball uh kind of relationship maybe it's not maybe it's like uh, dick van dyke and laura i i still separate... think i still think that if this was a cause for Ginny Thomas and it was a very important cause and she helped organize the January 6th uh, you know rallies and everything else involved there in the protest for her to be this active and to not have had a single conversation and to think that her husband was completely and totally oblivious Mm. uh, I I cannot buy that I can't buy that just based on 
married couples that I know, based on relationships that I know, based on my in-laws, yeah, based on my maybe. parents, based on everyone I know, to have something. I can see something that is a small potatoes issue, but to have something that was that central to what she was doing and to talk to the people that she was talking to, and they run in the same circles, to not even have one of a mutual friend turn and go, hey, your, your wife asked me about this, and to not have those conversations, for it not to come up at the dinner table, at the kitchen table. I, I I'm texting Mark, honey. That. I'm trying to get yeah. him to overturn the election. Well, I, mean, I just, oh, I just can't. Funny. Well, I just Pass can't imagine popcorn. Well, I just can't, I can't imagine that it wasn't because it wouldn't be. Hey, I'm texting Mark to get him to overturn. It would be. Oh my God, I can't believe that this is happening. How can we stop this? This has got to be done. Yeah, but that's this different than be. knowing about the text, right? Like, look, if if she's just texting, it's a bad optic, right? If she's texting the chief of staff saying things like, "We got to undo this election," all that's just a bad look. If he knows about it and then takes a vote on a case that would have revealed it. That's a real problem. That's a real problem. Well, I think if all of this smells like that's exactly what happened because he's the only one out of all of them that voted against releasing it and didn't offer a dissent opinion, didn't say why, didn't do anything. But the thing for me is when you have the conservative wing of the Supreme Court and all the rest of them say that's okay, but the one guy who says no, his wife has text messages in there that are not so savory and somewhat unethical. Yeah, yeah, I get that, it. That it's, to it's me a, is, I just look at it and go, smoke. there's, there's no sure way. I'm sure there's smoke. There's no way. But I got to have there's something no more for fire. I yeah. got to have something more. But there's definitely yeah. smoke there. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere, roughly a dozen states are proposing sending tax rebate checks to their residents to offset high inflation. Yes, the highest inflation in four decades has lawmakers on both sides of the aisle saying, hey, how about some free money? Even including Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. He's a Republican. Earlier this week, he signed a new law to send checks of up to $500 to in-state residents. He said in a statement, it's to soften the impact of inflation on household budgets and also to return some of the money amid a record state budget surplus, which is fantastic. But yeah, now you're getting some free money. And finally, police in Oregon arrested a man who they say stole a U-Haul filled with about a thousand pairs of Yeezys. What? Yes. Adidas is Yes, Yeezys. Yes. Uh, you know. Kanye West is choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, according to police, the uh, theft happened on Saturday night. Portland police officers said they found the stolen van moving uh, the following day. The shoes are estimated to be worth more than $250,000. Easy. That yeah. doesn't that doesn't shock me at all. 250 bucks for a pair of shoes <laughs> for those things? Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Like They're slippers. supposedly and I guess they are very very popular. I've never seen oh, yeah. them. And uh, maybe that's because they just don't wear them at the old folks' home I live at. But uh, I haven't seen them. The kids have never asked for them. Uh, I can't. If my imagine kids asked for them. I would laugh in their face loudly. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I mean, you could go, ha, 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 really? <laughs> did they vibrate? Oh, did they make you taller? I did they make know. you earthier? I mean, what's the I don't know. what's the deal? They're, they look like glorified slippers. Um, you talked about this polling from ABC. Yeah, and I've got another poll here from NPR Ipsos, another far right leaning organization who jumped in on some polling. But your polling on ABC was about the handling of the economy. Yeah, they looked at it and they basically said that majority of Americans said the nation's economy is in bad shape, and two thirds of the voters approved or disapproved of Biden's handling of the economy. The really weird thing was is that disconnect with gas prices. They didn't blame Biden for higher gas prices. And I think that's... What? Im- yeah, they didn't. Who does, it, does it say who they blame? Um, they blame uh, Russia. Oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, they blame Russia, but I think that's important. And the reason it's important is because I think that conservatives should understand that the messaging of the Biden gas price hike 
isn't necessarily resonating. It either needs to be modified or it needs to be clarified. But whatever right. it's doing, it is not moving the needle. Now, the bad economy and the inflation seems to be a very, very strong messaging target. But attacking gas prices independently seems to be a loser. And the messaging may need to be modified if they think that's going to be a winner coming the midterms. You know, it's interesting that as they look at an economy that is in a position to go into recession, and that's the scariest thing that I've heard within the last 24 hours was I listened to a couple folks who know the economy and for some compelling reasons talked about the fact that, you know, the Fed now has to reverse some fiscal policy where it had been uh, putting money out there forever. But now inflation has caught fire. And in order to chase that bad boy down, they're going to have to start destroying money. And in order to destroy money to take it out of circulation and all this other stuff, the policies that they have to put in place are likely to cause us to stall. Like we're shooting into the stratosphere right now on a propeller. Yeah. And it's going to cause us to stall. And I got a couple people saying, I'm telling you this is going to result in a recession. I can't believe we haven't had it already. That freaks me out. I remember the last recession we had. It was 08, 09. Not a good one. I will say this, though. It's what gave us Barack Obama. If you'll remember, right before, was it Lehman or Bear Stearns or whoever just cratered, McCain was actually pretty dang competitive with Obama and doing really well. And then when the wheels came off of the economy, uh, then it just sunk into nothingness. And so as we look into this November thing, the one thing that can save Biden from an economy that he has earned here is that if the public begins to perceive that it's not his fault, even though he's in power when it happens, that it is somehow related to world events beyond President Biden's immediate control, that that could have an impact. So it bothers me that people out there think our rising gas prices, which have been rising for a long time now, are the fault of Russia from a months-long invasion of Ukraine. Now, this Ipsos NBC poll, this is specifically about Ukraine. And there are some things here that are not good for the American people and not good for the president. There are also some good things here. So here's some of the funny things. And funny, funny, not ha-ha, you know, not like funny Joe Pesci, ha-ha, funny, bad. 57% of those polled, if it's over 1,000 Americans, 57% do not know whether the United States has biological weapon labs in uh, Ukraine. 57 don't know whether the U.S. has biological weapon labs That's in Ukraine. dumb because we don't. We don't. No. That, that is Russian propaganda. That is, that but you're dangerous. talking about approaching three in five Americans are just not sure. Now, that, that tells you something about the Russian efforts and, and what people are willing yeah. to believe. Also speaks a lot about the American media efforts and how bad we are oh or, or actually how, telling the truth. How untrustworthy they are. People yeah. see stuff on the news and they shrug it off like, don't believe you. Um, most Americans know that Ukraine did not attack Russia first. That's 83%. But hang on. That leaves 17%, and I haven't looked at the crosstabs, who either aren't sure who attacked who first or think that Ukraine attacked Russia first. Yeah. Where and, in the hell are you? And part of it is the Russian propaganda about Nazis. In well, the that, that's, here's the other thing. Yep. 70% of Americans know that Ukraine is not governed by Nazis. What about your other three in 10? Well, yeah. Is it you're not sure? 
Or yeah. you think that? You, you no, think I agree the, with you. Think the young Jewish man is a Nazi? <laughs> I mean, really? He's that, a neo Nazi. The, the neo Nazis are far yeah. more tolerant of Jews. <laughs> yes, it's and they dress a, better. It's just yeah. very, very different. Yeah, it's uh, a lot brighter the, colors. The good stuff about America, though, is that uh, we have big hearts. So three in four—that's about seventy-five percent of Americans—support admitting Ukrainian civilians fleeing the war to the United States. That includes a majority of even Republicans: sixty-six percent, eighty-one percent Democrats. Over half would personally be willing to support the settlement of Ukrainian refugees in their community. Just that's, not next door. Yeah, probably not <laughs> yes. next door. That's a, that's a yeah. big heart there that America has. Yeah. A large bipartisan majority agree that no United States company should be doing business in Russia. That's 71%. That is pretty darn good. That should but, be pushed a lot more. There, that is a, for me, that is a political pain opportunity for people to in a take good way, like of. you support. Them? Oh, yeah. In, in a really good way. I think that politically you can really message and um, against because, again, the the big American corporations, you want to support them, but they make really, really good amorphous bad guys. They make really good like corporate villains. I'm just saying from a political standpoint and pushing and saying, hey, I'm standing up for the people of Ukraine. I'm standing up for the, you know, the against the conflict. I'm standing up against Russia and I'm calling for these American companies to pull out. You guys can take the hit just like Americans right now t- sitting at their kitchen table are taking the hit on gas prices or taking the hit on inflation because Joe Biden talks about there may be a global food shortage coming. We are going to take these hits. So you American companies can join us in the pain and yeah, your profit margin is such is going to fall, but all of us as a country are going to support Ukraine. And then you start pushing them and saying, why aren't you as strong as the American people are? That's a message that can win. And again, it's because corporations are faceless, they're amorphous, and they make really, really good bad guys in these situations. They also pay the bills, man. I mean, that's how, we get, that's how you and I get paid. Yeah. We get a big corporation here. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden's performance on this thing is at 36%, just one in three, a little bit more than that, rate Biden's response to the Ukraine as good. Remember, this is NPR Ipsos, all right? This isn't Fox News or the Wall Street Journal or some right-leaning hack organization. Yeah, these are Newsmax, or not Newsmax, this is NPR, who have friendly questions. That's right. These questions are designed to be as friendly as possible. Interestingly, that breakdown of that 36% heavily... Partisan, maybe not that interesting. Maybe you could have predicted that. Six in ten Democrats, 62% rate his performance as good. But that means about 40% of Democrats don't think it's good. That's impressive. Republicans, just 11% think that his response has been good. And about 45% of those polled, and this poll was done between 18 and 21 March, so just it wrapped up just earlier this week, believe that Joe Biden has been too cautious in supporting Ukraine. That, too, Broken down by some partisanship, that's 60% of Republicans polled, 35% of those identifying themselves as Democrats polled. And if you look at the rest of the information that's put out here on this poll, um, the question, do you think the United States should be doing more, doing less, or is doing about the right amount when it comes to the war in Ukraine? Republicans, 46%, say that we need to be doing more. That drops down to 35 and 37% respectively for independents and Democrats Uh, It's interesting. I also think, by the way, when it comes to Ukraine, uh, we are in for the long haul. Here is the update from the website. I continue to commend to you, understandingwar.org, from the Institute on War. Wait a minute, Institute on Studying War? Let me read this title. 
No, it's the Institute for the Study of War. Almost nailed it. It's hard to imagine we have an institute for that, but we do. I don't know what kind of building it looks like. Maybe it's some kind of a GP medium, green tent, camouflage somewhere, but these smart folks are out there doing it. This is what they I say. I want to know for. what their holiday parties are like. <laughs> probably pretty bitchy. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know probably a lot <laughs> like the Independence Institute. Lots of Institute explosives. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> Play catch the hand grenade. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of the pin water balloon. Yeah. yeah. It's, this is the, the update from yesterday. Russian forces continue to make slow but steady progress in Mariupol. Entering the city center, dang, they entered the city center on March 24th, but conducted few offensive operations elsewhere in the country. Ukrainian counterattacks northwest of Kiev in the past several days continue to relieve pressure on the city, and Russian forces continued to dig in. Ukrainian forces repelled limited Russian attacks northeast of the city and around Kharkiv. It's, uh, it's kind of hard to figure if this is now still part of a Russian operational reset or an operational pause before they launch a larger offensive, or if this is just Putin settling in for a really long, slow siege. That seems risky to him. It seems probably pretty bad for Ukraine. Uh, and maybe he's going to test the strength of that uh, NATO alliance. You know, President Biden yesterday, we don't have the sound for it, had come out and said the NATO alliance has never been stronger, has never been more united. Listen, I love that. I want that to be true. But isn't that like that uh, vote of confidence that you always hear about? Like, go get them, Brownie. You know, <laughs> when George Bush was like, hey, man, I'm all behind you. Or you get that kiss in front. Yeah, we're all in. And then you're gone. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Listen, when we come back, there's a couple of the things I want to talk about. Love getting caught up on the Ukraine. Love getting caught up on what's going on. In the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have Mitch Morrissey. Uh, he is the author with some other good-looking genius on the uh, update to the Colorado crime wave study that the Common Sense Institute put out. It is being released at 7 a.m. today. I've got an advanced copy right here in my hands. Uh, it'll be released in 30 minutes, and you can go find it at commonsenseinstituteco.org, commonsenseinstitute.co.org. We're going to talk to Mitch Morrissey about it in the 8 o'clock, but we are going to talk about some other crime-related things coming up here and into the 7 o'clock. And I want to see what kind of conversation we can get started on this. There is some sound we have on a 71-year-old man who apparently has a warrant for his arrest for defacing some property out there. And uh, we also have this now. Now we know what's in it. Fentanyl bill. And I got to tell you, there is huge tension brewing between prosecutors and law enforcement not cut on party lines on this particular bill. We'll talk about it when we come back. George Brock, we're filling in for the great Peter Boyles at 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here on 710 KNUS in for Peter Boyles. Uh, lots going on here in Colorado, and some of it is. Well, not just some of it. A lot of it is related to what's going on in the uh, in the crime arena. There's also some stuff into the economic arena, and we've got the ability to talk about both of those this morning. Now, uh, first off, in Denver, uh, the place where, as you will recall, uh, the Denver DA started the week by formally dismissing the charges of second-degree murder against an unlicensed security guard who shot a man at a distance of three or four feet in the face with a gun uh, after being confronted by a slap and bear spray 17 months after she charged that same man with uh, second-degree murder. That's interesting. It, it, there was one other thing that I heard, and it was on Stefan's show a couple days ago. There's a motion to, uh, to seal that case, which 
by the way, sounds outrageous to folks where they're like, oh, my God, they're going to seal it. Let's talk about a couple things. One, the practical consequence of that sealing, the way the law works is if that case gets sealed by the court and I'm telling you they're going to seal it, then that arrest can also be expunged away. And the DA's office, if they were ever asked again in the future, and I mean the very next day, do you have a case against or did you ever have a case against Matthew Doloff, they would have to say, by law, no, we have no documents related to that. In addition, Matthew Doloff, for any future job application, whether for an armed position or not, could lawfully state he had never been arrested and charged. Now, there are some folks who are like, that is crazy talk, right? Like, I mean, he shot and killed a dude. That's not how the system works. And let me give you the good side of this, the reason we have a system like this. We have a system like this for someone who is wrongfully accused of a crime. uh, And then either the DAs realize that, oh, there's an innocent person or we don't have the evidence, like whatever it is, and they dismiss the case. That person should not be haunted for the rest of their life by the preliminary proceedings in the criminal justice system, right? Because there was probable cause to arrest, because there was probable cause to charge. Until you're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, there's something to be said for the idea that if the DA's office says we don't have a single thing to get against you, and and you should know this too, had they worked out a plea bargain with this killer where he had pled guilty to anything out of that case, a misdemeanor, it would have kept that case from being sealed. It would have been a foot in the door that could not be removed, and it would always be there. But by dismissing the case in its entirety, it is not only sealable, it'll be mandatorily sealable. Like it is hard to imagine a judge finding a legal justification for not sealing it. So once that's done, this guy will walk around with the same criminal history you or I have, not Billy because of his past, but but you or I have the same kind of criminal history. Um, that's an amazing thing. Now that gets us into something that's going on right now in Denver. And I want to tell you, there's a, a great young reporter out there at the Denver channel, uh, KMGH Channel 7 named C.B. Cotton. And I think, by the way, her father is like retired sergeant major in the Army, so another reason to really like her. But she did this story that uh, was on Channel 7. We've got some sound for it. And, Billy, does that sound kind of set the stage, or should I shut the stage and then we do the sound? So there's a game called Pickleball. I'll be very clear that a couple years ago I had no idea what Pickleball was. Well, my brother-in-law in Southern California, big athlete guy, uh, he played pickleball. And so when the the kids and I were all out there, they had the pickleball stuff. He's played with the kids before, even when I couldn't make the trip, and they fell in love with it. So we got a pickleball set. And I played a couple times with my youngest boy. And it's like, and the description in the story is right on, it's kind of a combination of ping pong, tennis, racquetball. It takes place on like a tennis court. It can take place inside. It's got paddles that look like tennis rackets but they're not they're hard and they're shorter and the ball is funnier it's got like a wiffle ball kind of feel to it look to it anyway there's a 71 year old man out there in denver who is an avid pickleball player as are his buddies his community and as you can imagine they're an older community and uh, they go to the denver parks and the in the denver recreation centers to do this well apparently there is a pickleball court this is inside there's pictures in this story and i commend you to go see the uh, the denverchannel.com to look at this and it sets out lines. There has to be lines, right? It's just not a free-for-all. There's even lines inside a, a racquetball or squash court, right? So there's lines. Those lines faded, and it was hard to play on. And so the 71-year-old man, in this case, takes a Sharpie. And as you know, Sharpie's permanent. And he writes 
he draws like little squares or markings that are consistent with a pickleball court on the hardwood. Now, some of the stories I've heard in descriptions, people are like, oh, this was outside on asphalt. No, it's not outside on asphalt. This was inside on hardwood, permanent marker on hardwood. That's pretty stupid, by the way. That, that's a real, a real uh, damaging thing you can do to hardwood. I get it. So, of course, the, the, the recreational district does a couple things. One, they suspend his ability to be there indefinitely, indefinitely. Two, they then take it civil and they file a loss. No, no, they didn't do that. Instead, they went to the police and the police got a warrant for this guy's arrest. That's what this story says. And they've claimed $10,000 in damages. And I want to be clear to you what the ramifications for that are, what the potential ramifications. That's called criminal mischief when you damage the property of another person without their permission. There's a statute. It's 18-4-501. And it says, this is it, a person commits criminal mischief when he or she knowingly damages the real or personal property of one or more other persons including property owned by the person jointly with another person. And, and you know what you're talking about there is domestic violence stuff, right? Like you're a married couple, husband loses his mind, throws a beer bottle through the TV. That's criminal mischief. Not, not only have you destroyed your TV interest, you've destroyed your wife's TV interest. So that's what that's talking about, right? Uh, whether another person has a blah, blah, blah. So here's how it's broken down, though. It's broken down by value. So if you destroy something that has little value, little charge makes total sense. You destroy something with big value, big charge. This particular value that they have accused him of, or at least uh, alleged for purposes of this warrant, $10,000, that makes it a felony, a fifth class felony, punishable by, wait for it, for the 71-year-old man with the Sharpie and the desire to play pickleball, one to three years in the Department of Corrections. One to three years in the Department of Corrections. Now, candidly, that ain't ever going to happen. Dude's never going to prison. If he, short of coming to court and drawing on the court with the Sharpie, like during the sentencing, I don't, and even then, I don't think this guy's going to prison ever. I also don't think he's going to be sentenced to jail. And you should know that for every felony conviction, the law says you can be sentenced up to up to 90 days of jail as a condition of whatever probationary sentence you might get. Kind of a little eye-opener, you know, like yank the chain. I don't expect him to get into jail either. But this dude is facing potentially felony charges. There is a warrant. That's according to the story. This guy has to turn himself in, right? And my understanding is the DA's office has agreed to a PR bond. But, oh, my God, for a 71-year-old man who used Sharpie not to write some racial epithet or anti-Semitic slur or something like that, no doubt that what he did was just ridiculous and it was selfish and it was stupid and he should have to pay for it out of his pocket. hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent, but we're now ginning up a criminal justice system that is going to act like Matthew Doloff never did anything wrong after killing uh, Lee by shooting him in the face. And here's a 71 year old man that goes to bed last night thinking there's a chance I could leave this as a convicted felon. What in the world is going on? Now, the DA has tremendous discretion here, and I mean the kind of tremendous discretion that could say something that will never happen. Beth would never do this. We're going to trial 
no plea bargain, and then when you're convicted, we're going to ask the judge to send you. That's never, ever, never going to happen. There's other plea bargains available, such as a misdemeanor, a deferred judgment, or the DA could dismiss it outright. And my presumption is that what the DA would like to do, I'm guessing here, this is what I would want to do, is to do something called a deferred prosecution at the most, not the minimum, at the most. And that is a thing where you say, hey, sir, go out and do X, Y, and Z, and when you come back, we'll dismiss the case against you. You've deferred the prosecution. And maybe you even have a little of an agreement that says, all you got to do, man, is figure out a way to pay for the damage to that floor. And I don't, 10000 bucks. I, you have to redo the whole floor in the community center? I don't think so. But whatever it takes to fix it, right? You fix it, come back, we get rid of it. Here's the problem. The super smart legislators a handful of years ago took away the power of the DA to engage in a deferred prosecution. The same libs on the left who think that DAs have too much discretion robbed us of the ability to take care of it on this case. That leaves us with really one common sense outcome here, and that is to simply wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and say, sir, go get this taken care of before your court date. If you can't, we'll continue at one time. So a de facto deferred prosecution. But none of that is guaranteed. And meanwhile, this 71-year-old man gets haunted by the fact that there was a warrant for his arrest, that he's going to have to go to court at his age to answer for this felony charge for using Sharpie on the ground. Does that make sense? What is going on? I didn't even have to give out the number. There's already people here calling in on this story. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. What's going on? Until we come back to answer that question, my name is George Brockler, right here on The Great Peter Boyle Show, 710 QS. George Brocker back with you here on 710 KNUS. Billy reminding me that as I was doing that last segment, setting it up, that the setup was for the purposes of playing a video clip that we never played. So we're going to do that at the top of the hour here. There's enough interest at 303-696-1971 and some of the text that's coming in. Uh, I want to keep this conversation going, but I want to put you in the shoes of D.A. Beth McCann and, frankly, all of law enforcement. And as what do you do here with a 71-year-old guy who definitely damages the property that doesn't belong to him, that damages the park. Um, and I think it's this hardwood court that uh, appears to be on the inside of a building. What do you do with a guy like that? You do nothing. You do everything. You do something in between. Maybe you've got some creative ideas here. We're going to then send this podcast off the link. We'll have Billy do it off to Beth McCann's office and see if they want to take uh, take some of the advice that you're going to give. 303-696-1971. Let's start with Jay. Jay, you're on 710 KNUS. Hey, good morning, George. How are you? Good. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. So what a story, huh? Hell of a story. Um, And a couple other points. I, I was listening to Stefan yesterday, and he hit this pretty hard. Um, One thing that I think frustrates me is it sounds like this gentleman tried to go to Denver Parks and Rec and work something out. Uh, offered to pay for it, offered to try and help clean it or whatnot, and they refused, refused to talk to him, refused to meet with him. Um, another thing, you know who gave him the Sharpie? Nope. For Parks and Rec. What? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that he didn't say what he was going to do with it, but he went to the desk and got the Sharpie from them. Um, well, if they didn't know, that doesn't that doesn't strike me No, it's one of those weird things, but apparently he had met with this, uh, one of the the directors there, you know, bringing up concerns about the pickleball court, like, hey, this isn't really working. Yeah. We worked something out and had met with them, and obviously no, nothing ever happened. Um, but I think the one part that kind of frustrated me, frustrated me was the fact he tried to, 
from what I heard, he tried to go work something out and, and take care of it, and they went, undo it. Jay, I wasn't aware that that is frustrating in this way, too, is that we have become a hyper-litigious society where every wrong, it seems like every bad thing that happens to someone has to result in a trip to court, either because of a civil suit, and my God, there are so many plaintiff's attorneys out there who will take any case, but more and more now we want to take everything and dump it on the DA's lap and say, hey, you fix all this stuff. Honestly, the district attorney's office and law enforcement in general in many ways are uh, the world's drain, right? Like they're America's drain. All the other stuff that's, that sinks through there, all the good, we catch all the garbage. And this is just adding on to it in a way that it just feels inappropriate for the use of the criminal justice system. Now, there are a lot of tools in that toolbox, but I want to ask you, with your knowledge of the system, some of the things that I've said, what do you think ought to happen with this guy and this case? Um, you know, I think kind of with a lot of, of vandalism type stuff, it's it's usually, hey, go volunteer here for, you know, 100 hours or, or whatnot. Um, obviously, I don't think there should be any kind of fine. No jail time at all. I know he he turned himself in yesterday and went through that whole process already and got a PR bond. Good that he got uh, but, a PR bond. That's great. Yeah. Don't and, expect uh, him to uh, reoffend. Right. And uh, I think it sounded like he got an attorney pro bono, and she kind of went to bat for him and found a Denver DA willing to stay late so they could have a hearing so he didn't have to spend a night in jail. That's great, uh, too. And the attorney that he has, and I listened to her on Stefan last night, and uh, so she's in the story on Channel 7 at the DenverChannel.com. Uh, she's, uh, she's no rookie. She's no goof. She's a straight-up, legit criminal defense attorney big time in Denver. So I appreciate that she's doing this pro bono. And the, the words that she spoke on that interview were consistent with, look, I'm not just going to start throwing darts at the DA's office and calling him out on this. She's like, look, this is outrageous, but we can work this out. We can figure this out. And I think she's trying to get the criminal justice system to take a knee while they resolve this thing. The part that you brought up, though, is the part that's the most bothersome, is that there was no uh, compulsion for the parks people in Denver to go to law enforcement. But the statement that they put out kind of doubled down on their idea that this is zero tolerance and you damage our property. And we're, and I'm like, well, wait, you're supposed to be part of this community, too. Are you telling me that under no circumstances could you just work out fixing everything with the person who may have broken this? I, I don't know. What, what was your take on that, Jay? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, it sounded like they were hell bent on making an example out of this poor guy. Um, and, and I, you know, you listen to Stefan too, and it sounds like a lot of the damage was caused by Denver Parks and Rec trying to fix the issue or, or trying to remove it, and they caused further damage trying to remove it because they didn't research what they were doing. Oh, my goodness, so, Jay. I, Jay, I have so, to jump in here for a second, Jay. You have just hit the nail on the head. And I want to tease the fact that after the top of the hour, I just had a conversation with the incredibly intelligent Mark Crowley. I saw him in there. He is going to live on air demonstrate how badly Denver Parks and Rec messed up the removal of the Sharpie, how they had an opportunity to easily remove it with something a lot of people have around their house. So, Jay, after the top of the hour, Mark Crowley is going to show us exactly what you said, that the Denver Parks and Recreation made this worse based on how they tried to clean it up. Yeah, absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, George, but how can they add that on to 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 make that a felony well what's interesting is if there was a way to take it off that would have resulted in no damage 
that's certainly something a defense attorney would want to uh, assess. But my guess is that this defense attorney sounds super smart to me. Is like, listen, we don't want this is a 71 year old man who wants to spend as few nights closing his eyes, dreaming of being a convicted felon as possible. Let's get this thing resolved. If it needs to be fixed, we'll fix it. But for the love of God, don't gin up the criminal justice system in a way that puts this guy in the hopper now that Doloff is out there walking around without any sort of a criminal record. Jay, thank you for getting us started on this, man. Great phone call. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, George. Take Talk care. to you soon. Hey, got to cut away for a break, but we've got some – got Jay's line open, 303-696-1971. We'll reset at the top of the hour, and I promise this time, if I don't do it, Billy, just play it over the top of me. We will – Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.